Welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from the Read the Damn Room department at Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Edmond, and I am joined as I am every week by the man with the worst taste in television shows, Mr. Shane Reeves. What's my worst? What show did you hate? Well, okay, so first of all, the two things are not related. Okay. Um, so I've been watching Justified. Awesome. And it's fine. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's fine. How far are you? Uh, I, I'll, I'll look it up. I'm, I'm in season three. You're in season three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the whole deal with the counterfeit bill. And the bank robber and all of that. Yeah, that, that was all kind of muddled. I did not care for that part. Yeah, they, they, there's just such a tendency to take these throwaway plot points and make them part of the whole season that I don't think is necessary. Okay, but can you deny Walter Goggins is, is amazing? No, no, he's, he's great. I love him in everything. You don't watch Righteous Gemstones, but no. he is brilliant in that. And I, and I am a huge fan. Um, and and Oliphant does I- I- incredibly well as well. It, it, it's casted well. It's just the story is just it. It's the problem with any sort of uh, I'm going to call it third wave procedural show, which is this need to get so outlandish and to keep tying in too many things. And it's just it, it, see. And this is what's interesting. I never ever thought of it as a procedural show. I thought of it as just a story. It, the, the procedural part of it is so insignificant. It never occurred to me that there would, there, there would be any concept of it being a procedure. Because the arrests mean nothing. You just, you're watching to see Timothy Oliphant shoot people. Right. To see Walter Goggins shoot people. Or blow people up. Or blow people up, which is awesome. Yeah. To see the, the you know, Mags Bennett, the whole Bennett family. How could you not love that whole? See, and, and that's, that's where we're, they're playing a part of this current season's, um, you know, sort of overarching arc. Right. And, and like I said, like, it's, it's fine, but it's just, I don't know if, if it's, in some ways it's just too much, and in other ways it's just not giving me quite enough to stay hooked. The, but the, what I'm really upset about is Mom. Oh, my God, that show is unwatchable. You don't like Mom either? No. I don't understand. And, but I immediately understood why you like it. And, but it, why do we keep giving Chuck Lorre TV shows? Because they're all the freaking same. It's the same reason I hate Two and a Half Men. And it's the same reason I don't like Big Bang Theory. Made too much money, made too many people rich. Yeah, but I, but it's... I can tell you why we get given Chuck Lorre no, but, <laughs> TV shows, because they make a killing. People, stop watching this crap. It's, it's so dumb. It's so predictable. I find myself watching... Because I was... The other day, I wanted something, you know, for the background or whatever, like, through the day. But I didn't want Justified. I needed something lighter than that. Sure. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll check mom out. And I'm never seen the show before, never seen a single episode. And I'm, I'm hitting the punchlines before they're coming up because it's so predictable. It's well, so formulaic. There's not. It's an insult to my intelligence. Yeah, it's there's, set there's up in your window punchline, set up in your window punchline. And it's just, 
it's this this going back to the well. It's the same same thing as Two and a Half Men, where you've got an overly sexed, crazed character playing off the constant innuendo. It's it's everything is low hanging fruit. People talking, people that are dumber than any human has ever existed, that only serve the purpose to set up the key characters for their punchlines. It's unwatchable. It's awful. <laughs> I enjoy it. Well, I, I'm glad you uh, do. I, I enjoy, and I enjoy Chuck Lorre's work. I like Two and a Half Men up to the point where the Charlie died and they put Ashton Kutcher in. Right. And then it was completely and totally the worst thing that ever happened. I don't. I really don't even acknowledge those seasons exist. If I'm flipping and I see the the that, that thing and it says Ashton Kutcher, they should they should have just called it Half a Man or something. A man down. <laughs> man and a half. <laughs> yeah. They should. I mean, because it, it's just it's just, just destroys it after that. Mom is one of the rare TV shows that gets better in later seasons. See, I think most TV shows do that. Oh no. Most of the ones I watch do. Sons of Anarchy was a steady decline downhill all the way. Yeah, well, that's not a show I watch. So. And I'll tell you get to the end and you're just glad it's over. It was so bad. It was it was so great at the beginning, and it just kept going down and down and down. Now Justified Justified's level all the way through. Is no one season stands out as being any better than any others. Season one's definitely the weakest season. Yeah. See, I thought Sopranos got better as it went. Yeah, see, I didn't. I liked the first part of Sopranos way better than the end. Yeah, I, I thought it was, I think it was two seasons before the end was kind of a lull, but then they picked it up and punched it home pretty well. Yeah, there, it kind of... It, but that's how, that's how all shows are going to do. But, you know, Game of Thrones got worse as further into it. You got most series I want to watch. If When I go to rewatch a series, I'll rewatch the first, like Big Bang Theory. First three or four seasons I'm in, after that I'm out. See, it's funny because with ba- Big Bang Theory, it's if I'm going to watch an episode, I want it to be one of the later ones where an actual story and character development has taken hold as opposed to just being that face value, get in, get out, just go for the laughs. I, I, I appreciate shallow, empty humor. I, I don't. It's just enjoyable. And that's the difference, I guess. I don't want to have to work for it. I work hard enough when I'm at work. I think that's what was so disappointing to me about Big Bang Theory is the fact that they've got very intelligent uh, subject matter that they're playing with, but then they dumb it down. So it just becomes, it's not, you don't, you don't really have to know much to be able to get the jokes. So what was your read the room comment about? All right. So this happened today. Um, do you want to, let's cigars and then I'll tell you the story. Okay. Well, what I'm smoking tonight is the Cavalier Geneva Trace de la Quintes Habano. Say that uh, five times fast. It, we talked about these when they were coming out because mm-hmm. the, the gig on these was it's going to be the same blend under three different wrappers so that you can tell each wrapper, mm-hmm. which works great provided the guy ordering cigars, Mark, orders <laughs> all three wrappers and doesn't just order two wrappers of the cigar. Oh, so now you've got you've got to go find the Gretzky rookie card. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just it ruins the way to market. The, I told when we were ordering, I said, the way you have to market these is, hey, you want to really know the difference a wrapper makes. Here's three cigars. That are all identical except for the wrapper. Except for the wrapper. And you can smoke them and do that. And <laughs> right over his head. Total. 
We don't need no more Connecticut's. Totally missed it. Totally out of the. Just, yeah. Just totally. To- it's, it's, an, it's an endeavor. It's not a cigar. So he basically assassinated this cigar. This, yeah. If you're going to smoke one, smoke it soon. He won't be ordering any more because he totally missed the angle yeah. by which you would sell this cigar. But I like the cigar. It's a Honduran cigar. Um, the blender is Sebastian de Copet. That's got to make you happy seeing that listed. Yeah, Absolutely. Habano wrapper on this one, the binder filler, Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Honduran, and Nicaragua. Good cigar and would be great if it was a situation where I could hand somebody, hey, buy these three sticks or we even put them in a three pack. Right. One of each. Yeah. Learn what a wrapper tastes like. But I tried that. That I said it sailed. I said it four or five times and he totally missed it. Yeah. Completely. I was hoping he would be here on the show today so that I could rail him about this particular That's funny. failure of his. But anyway, what are you smoking? Um, I'm smoking the Crux Guild. So I you know, I find when I walk in the humidor here, I automatically gravitate to the AJ section and then to Crux. And I usually grab the Bear and Bull, but I, have n- I didn't have a substantial enough lunch, uh, nor recently enough, to really justify the Bear and Bull. So I was like, you know what? I really do like their cigars, but I don't really smoke anything else. I'm going to I'm gonna make that turn. So this is the Guild. Uh, this is the Toro. So it is uh, all Nicaraguan uh, with an Ecuadorian wrapper. And it's kind of in that medium full range. I, I think personally a little bit closer to medium than full. But what I like about it is that the if, if memory serves, it's been a while. The Ecuadorian wrapper over that Nicaraguan takes some of the Nicaraguan spice out and gives you a smoking experience that's a lot more closely related to Dominican tobacco than it is Nicaraguan. That's been my experience. I'll find out at the end of the show if that's true or not. The Guild is the most Placencia-like cigar in Crux's lineup. You know, they're made in the Placencia factory, except for I think the uh, Maduro is made in the AJ factory. But the Guild is their most placentia. You smoke, if you smoke that blind, you would think it was a placentia. You'd say, oh, yeah, it's placentia. Mm-hmm. That's definitely their most placentia cigar. The others have a little more defining characteristics, but that one is definitely, you know where it's from when you light it up, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me no. wrong. I'm not saying that that's a poor choice. For, for 12 bucks, and you're getting a, like a full-fledged placentia experience, that's pretty good. No, so the read the room thing. So I installed a new light fixture that we, we, we got for our wedding, but we didn't ever put it up in our old house because we didn't really have a place for it. Who got you a light fixture for your wedding? It was on our registry. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a, pen, it's a pendant chandelier, but it's, it's globeless, so it requires those uh, uh, the Edison-style bulbs that are... Right. And so, okay... So I finally got around. We were just looking around the house today and and trying to knock some things out. And I was like, why don't we see if this works here? I'll go ahead and install it. We'll live with it for a little bit and figure out if we like it or not. We, I install it. It looks great where we put it. And so, but we didn't have any Edison bulbs, so I had to go to Lowe's. I took Benny with me. And everyone has heard me talk about my dog on the show. They know that he's a handful. Now, he is quickly becoming a phenomenal dog, but he's a handful. 
And so today we go to Lowe's and normally when I go to Lowe's with him, we kind of cruise that back corridor. We stay away from the excitement and it's really just about being somewhere where he has to be obedient and he has to keep it under control. But Sunday afternoon at Lowe's and Dixon is a, it's like going to Costco on a Saturday and there were people everywhere and I'm, uh, and, and so he's having none of it. He's just really kind of, and so a little bit more backstory is the, the first dog trainer I went to work with told me to get rid of the dog because he has fear aggression. Well, he didn't have the aggression part. He just had the fear and that's what we've been working on. So you put him in an experience like that and he starts freaking out because he's, he's way out of his element. And he was also required because the, they only had three of the bulbs. I needed four. Some guys like, so like, He's having to work on his patients. There's a lot of people talking, coming up like he's out of sorts. We get to the checkout, and this lady who doesn't clearly can't read a room. She's, you know, Lowe's has gone to all self-checkouts, right? So I've got dog in one hand, trying not to drop and break my light bulbs with the other and get checked out in the, because I have to do the job myself. And she comes up. And she's like using these hand signals that he's never seen before. And she's claiming that she's using sign language. Lady, that ain't sign language. (laughs) So, in fact, at one point I kind of snapped at her because she was, well, so we finally get through that. And he's, you know, there's kids nearby trying to come up. Like we finally get to where we're about to walk out of the door and some idiots decide to come in the exit door. And I hate when people do this. They're clearly marked entry and exit, and they've got a dog. And that's one of the things we're actively working on is him, like, responding with other dogs. And, of course, they keep coming to him. And so he starts to lose his mind again. And he's just, he's just trying to get away. He's scared. He's, he's, you know, he's a bit like me when I've been around a crowd too much. She comes back up and stands between me and the door which is his ticket to freedom and starts trying to, to command him to sit and stay put. And first of all, lady, I got this second. You don't know what he's about. And then again, she starts bringing Have you ever thought about using sign language with him? I said, lady with what hands? I said, he's freaking out because there's too much activity. I just need to go. And she finally like steps aside. So we get, but come on. There's nothing worse than the person that gets something in their mind and wants to impress it upon you yeah. with, with, and at, at any cost. They get a thought in their head, and they're like, oh, sign language is how we should communicate with dogs. Which, honestly, is true. I, I, have, I, I find, no, 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 Oscar was, was this way, and Benny is, is somewhat this way. The hand signals are get a way better uh, response than, than vocal commands. But it's also because I'm more, probably more consistent in terms of intonation and things like that. But also, we use sign language in my house. That's how we communicate when I'm not wearing my ears. So, and it, oh, that was the other thing I said. Actually, we do use sign language because I'm deaf, and we use the one that's actual ASL. Thank you. <laughs> I was a bit of a turd. But I was just, it was a, I just needed to leave. Please let me. That's the most Trey story ever told on this podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, moving forward. 2023 Cigar Insider Retailer Survey. 
majority of U.S. tobacconists say sales are up. So this is from Ficionado. And so here's what they did. They sent out a poll of 81 U.S. retailers representing 291 cigar shops. So this is the breakdown. Was it surprising to you as it was to me that that few retailers accounted for that many shops? It does seem odd. Yeah. It seems like they only hit the... Um, the big folks. The, the, the folks int- who might have an ad in Cigar Aficionado who might, be, or who might be looking for Aficionado, maybe looking to sell them an ad. But or, Yeah, it, does, it seems a bit... Because even at 291 cigar shops, that's a very small sample size. There's got to be at least 10,000 shops in this country. Got to be that many in Atlanta. Yeah. I, last I heard, it was getting up close to 200. In yeah. Atlanta alone. So, anyway. So, sales are up. 69.1% said sales are up. 6.2% said sales are down. And 247 said sales are flat. And yeah. I think that's about... That's about right. It, it's, I would be interested... And this is the, the data analyst part of my brain that gets tingling... When they say sales are up, are they just talking about dollars or are they talking about transactions? Are they talking about units moved? Like, how are they? Because with prices going up, even if your sales activity stays flat, your revenue's going up. I don't know. I don't know if it's gross, if it's net, if it's... I don't know the parameters. They didn't give us those parameters, which they use. But it's interesting to me. So if you tell me that, you know, 69% say sales are up and 24% sales are flat. So, yeah, that's 94% say that business is doing as good or better as it was last year. I feel like that 6.2% that say sales are down, you could probably walk through either their books or their management or something. Into, that's a small enough percentage you could probably figure out very quickly why their sales are down. Yeah, I feel like that's not an industry indicator. Now, if it was 20% saying sales were down, okay, maybe that's an industry indicator. That that seems like a you problem to me. Well, and that kind of leads us to what we want to talk about as it pertains to this article. What causes a cigar shop to fail? What causes, because we've seen the rise and fall of different shops and... Or maybe not even fail. I think that might be a little too strong. But what causes the, the success to ebb and flow? Well, here's the deal in business. If you ain't growing, you're shrinking. That's just the nature of the beast. I, and I, I honestly, I despise that. I, I know it's true. Oh, it's the facts. But, but I hate it. It's, I mean, the fact, uh, fact is, if you're not growing your business, you're shrinking your business. That's just part of life and all because there's so many factors going. There's people moving out. There's people moving away. There's people quitting smoking. There's people whatever, whatever, whatever that are always going to be taking away from your bottom line. And if you're not growing that business, but by the same token, this shop we're sitting here right now, we're about maxed out on customers. Yeah. I've been in here several times where it's standing room only on a Thursday night. Well, and we're kind of at the point of, okay, how quick can we get cigars in in proponent to how quick they're going out? How quick can we, how how much labor can we spend keeping the, you know, keeping the shelf stocked? 
how much beer can we? I mean, and the square footage is our biggest impediment right now to any growth in this shop. Yeah. I mean, if this humidor was double this size, but the lounge remained the same, we wouldn't sell one more cigar. Right. We'd no. sell different cigars. We wouldn't sell one more cigar. Yeah. No, and that's exactly right. It's, you know, there are going to be, there are going to be people that walk through the door and they see one empty seat, and they go, "Oh, quiet tonight." That you, you are that. That's that. That's that golden retriever mindset, mm-hmm. right? Whereas someone is going to walk in. I'm going to pick on your wife just because she and I are, are very similar in this regard. Walks in, sees, you know, half of the seats in the shop taken, goes, oh, my God, there's nowhere to sit. Right. And so that really becomes your, 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 road, your roadblock to growth. Yeah. If you get a shop at 80%, I just dropped my lighter. Oh. If you get a shop at 80% capacity, You're full. it's full. Yeah. Because there's only a certain amount. You cannot fill every seat in a shop, in a cigar shop. Not comfortably. No. So if you get to 80%, and like last night um, during the football games, we were probably, at least probably 85, 86% full in here. Oh, I bet. We had people sitting everywhere, and it was actually a little claustrophobic. There were so many people in here. But the biggest impediment right now to this shop growing is literally just size. Yeah. So there, there is that part of it. So, so there is a natural born ceiling where you have to decide, okay, how am I going to maintain the, the clientele I got? Well, and it also becomes about, you know, it's not just about butts in seats so much as how, like, how many times do you get up during a cigar? Or during a night. Let's say you're here for three cigars. You're going to get up a couple of times between cigars, during cigars. And so factor that by 80 people, and you've got egress and ingress issues, and you've got lines for the bathroom, things like that. And then on top of that, you've got to staff. You know, you've got most of the time one guy working here, keeping ashtrays clean, keeping people rung up at the register, doing some inventory maintenance. You need at a certain point you need more people, and then how do you? Well, most of the time we have one guy and an owner. Yeah, and the owner, if he sees if you know if somebody's back I, here cleaning an ashtray, owner will pop up there and yeah. bring somebody up. I, I'm speaking more in the general of of any shop, not specifically this one. Yeah, any shop. You know, um, the other shop we used to go to. We they used always to have, had. We one. used to have two. Well, generally, toward when I was there, there was only one. Yeah. But, um, and generally, that meant the ashtrays didn't get empty. Yeah. Because all he was doing was ringing people up. We, we used to have two people on Friday and Saturday night. Right. And that stopped very soon after I, I started working there. Um, but there was, there was a time for about the first six months I worked there that, yeah, there were two people on Friday and Saturday night. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's all that ebb and flow. I think the other thing, and I've seen a number of of shops in the area suffer this one either currently or in the past which is inventory made worse and made harder by the fact that a lot of manufacturers are riding that uh, um, uh, back order train right now well and that's why you have to have a number of cigars in the humidor that do the same thing you know the argument that I have a lot of time with cigars in here is we'll say, well, we're ordering this cigar and it's it's like this one. Well, we have that. 
you know, if it was up to Mark, we got a Perdomo champagne. We don't need another Connecticut in that humidor. Right. But then if you can't get the Perdomo champagne for some reason, you have no Connecticut. Yeah, or, or if you have an event and sell out and it's going to take you a week. Or, or if you're somebody that just doesn't care for the Perdomo champagne but still likes Connecticut's. Right. So you do have to have a number of cigars that fill those same slots. And I think that bites retailers more often than not. They say, okay, I got a cigar that does this job. I'm moving on to finding a cigar that does something else. And before you know it, there's no backup plan. Right. Well, or, or and then on top of that, you've just got, you know, if sales are down, restocking goes down. And that happens over a lot. And then when your humidor gets empty, your sales go further down because people walk in and either you don't have what they're looking for or you don't have enough of variety for them to be able to figure out something new and and people walk away. Well, and a lot of retailers go by the one-to-show and one-to-go philosophy when ordering cigars. We're going to order two boxes of this particular cigar, one-to-show and one-to-go. So, But then if somebody buys a box, somebody else is out of luck. I could not imagine running a shop, and only buying two boxes at a time. Well, when we first bring a cigar in, when it's the, the trial run on a cigar, the one to show, one to go makes sense. Especially if, like, you were bringing it, like, when we brought in Crux. Yeah. Now, luckily, Crux is a unique packaging setup, so it didn't really matter with them. But we've brought in cigars where we've said, okay, we're going to do one to show and one to go, but what's the back order situation? And, well, and that's the thing. You've got to know... If this goes lights out, how easy is it going to be to restock without anybody noticing? And if you're a rep that lies to me about that, you're dead to me. Mm-hmm. If you're a rep that lies to me and says, oh, just out of nowhere they went, no, you know when something's going on back order. You're dealing right. with this every day. Yeah. Although sometimes it's not the rep, it's the rep's boss that doesn't want the rep to lose sales so they don't tell them that sort of thing. That was... When I was working for Calibri, they used to do that to me all the time. They'd send me out into the field with a catalog, and I would push something, and I would get it sold. And then as soon as I placed my order, yeah, we don't. That's been discontinued. Would have been nice if someone had told me. Yeah, because then you look like an idiot. Yeah, and and you lose the whole order. Oh, absolutely. So inventory management's tricky, but you do... it's, It's not over... You don't have to have a fortune in cigars to have a well-managed humidor. And I think that's where most guys that have a poorly stocked humidor say, oh, I just don't have the capital to maintain that. No, you're not putting the work in. Yeah, well, and so, I mean, we we talk about inventory management on this show a lot, and I think we've done it to death. I want to talk for a minute about a couple of the other things that can cause a drop in sales, uh, just because I think it's stuff that, you know, we're coming in th- to, um, you know, we finally got football going again. You know, basketball's going to be kicking off here for people that enjoy that sort of thing. Baseball's coming to an end. And we're in that really fun t- part of the, of the year for cigar smokers because people come back into the shop. Right. Throughout the spring and the summer, you know, the winter sales go flat. Spring they pick up as people head back out onto the golf course. Summer, they stay steady. And then fall, you tend to see a little bit of an uptick before it falls off at the holidays. And one of the things that can, that can inf- impact your sales for the year is 
how well you prepare for those those seasons. You know, if if I walk into a shop that you know is going to be nothing but guys talking about sports, sports on TV. This like that's the vibe of the shop. I t- I don't want to hang out there. That's not what I'm about. Right, you don't want to get your hair cut at sports clips. Yeah, well, it's funny because I do get my hair cut at sports clips, but I don't want to have a cigar at sports clips. Um, more about that later. So I think maintaining a consistent image of like what what the what the the vibe of the shop is. I think because as as things ebb and flow, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to come around to. The, to a specific thing, but I told you I was going to try and think of it before the show, and it's not coming well, to me. So you're referring to culture of the shop, and culture of the shop is usually dictated by a handful of people. Usually, you have your regulars, and a handful of them kind of dictate what the culture's shop's going to be. Right. You know, I know when I walk in and I see a certain group of guys. Okay, they're going to be talking sports. I see a certain group of guys, okay, they're going to be talking politics. I ain't going over there. A group of guys, you know, you, you kind of get the vibe for what those are. And I, I remember where I was going to go with this. So let's say that, because I chose sports and that was, a, that was a bad idea. Let's say that your owner of the shop finds religion. And now all of the people, that's, now it becomes church. Mm-hmm you're going to run a bunch of people off. And that's not seasonal like sports. That's kind of a, a, a culture shift in the shop. Um, or heaven forbid, like somebody actually properly boycotts the NFL after they say they're going to. And then, you know, you're, oh, we're not playing NFL in here because of X, Y, or Z or whatever. Now you lose all of your customers. You alienate your customers based on an edict or, a, or an intentional change in shop culture. That was what I was trying to get at. Uh, because I actually... The flip side of that is your customer base can actually change without you knowing it. And this is what I was telling you before the show is I used to be at uh, Wise Ash Cigars in Atlanta. Amazing shop. The guy who started it was uh, retired from the Navy, then was a police officer, retired from that. And um, so and he's from Texas. So this is a no bullshit kind of guy. He takes no no crap from anybody. And he ran his shop that way. Now, it was a very lighthearted atmosphere, but like there were there was a certain decorum that was expected. And what would happen though is he sold the shop to the guy that ran it for him on the Sundays, who everyone respected. We called him Mister Mike. Like everyone who walked in that shop called him Sir. You know what I mean? But as the reins got a little bit looser, different people started coming back in, and then all of a sudden the regulars at that shop ran roughshod over the owner and it became the wild west and in fact it's now sold again i haven't been back since but the cult culture of that shop completely changed to the point that last time i was in atlanta i didn't even stop by well and that's a big part of it is one you've got to know when it's time to kick somebody out Mm. You know, if you get the guy that comes in and is annoying to everyone and is over-serving himself at every table or that always, you know, usually when you... Selling fake Cubans out of the trunk of his car in the parking lot. Usually when you walk in here, there's a bottle on that front table. Usually. Very often, yeah. 
And for the most part, the guys come in here and one of say, oh, yeah. And then, so the next day they'll bring a bottle. And the next day they'll bring a bottle. And you have guys that trade it out and all thing, things like that for one another. The guy that comes in that drinks way more of the bottle than he should and never brings one. Yeah. And is an ass and is a pain to everybody while he's there, which thankfully we ain't got that guy. He's, though we've had a couple of those come in, but they usually weed themselves out pretty quick because they don't, they don't feel comfortable in an environment. Right. And all. But I do think that is an important part that a, an owner has to keep an eye on is, hey, this one guy, 80% of my problems is caused by this one guy. It's time for him to leave. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do, to, to, to fire a customer. In a retail environment like this. Yeah, and regardless of how much he spends, he's not going to spend more than five people. Exactly. And if he makes it a situation where it's not enjoyable to be in here, it's time to move him on out. Yeah, so tying it back to the article, I feel like that 6% of people, I feel like... that, that We could find out pretty quick why their sales are down. Yeah, I bet we could walk into that shop pretty quickly and figure it out. But there's a, they're saying that it's overall up, and I think I agree with that. I can yeah. tell that kind of from the, the feeling around here. But Like I said, I would like to know if that's unit sold or if that's revenue, because um, I feel like it's revenue, in which case the price increases are driving a lot of that. But the prices haven't gotten up, gone up 67%, so who knows? Well, let's step away for a break. When we come back, let's talk about different places to smoke a cigar. I think we've thoroughly covered the ins and outs of the lounge let's talk about new places to try to smoke a cigar all right we'll be back with that more after this welcome back to the podcast this is Shane, introducing the Cigar Cast. So, <laughs> I call it the podcast so often mm-hmm. when I'm around here. I probably should do a better job of branding us. You prob- yeah, probably. But I'm sitting across from the man who's officially got his invitation now to Friday Night Golf here at the Mission Cigar with me, Mr. Trey Dedman. All right, I'm going to have to know more about this. So this is interesting. So... After the poker game, a couple of the guys would have a little side game. And I, I separated myself from the side game because right. I'm running the main game and I don't want, you know. Didn't Last wanna, thing you want is to end up in charge of the side game, too. Yeah. So I, and I didn't really want to encourage a side game because right. I wanted to get the main game finished and keep it moving and yeah. things like that. Well, of their own accord, they started playing golf. Have you ever played golf with cards, poker cards, or cards? No. You get six cards, you try to make pairs, aces are worth one, kings are worth zero, twos are worth minus two, and whoever has the lowest score wins that hole, and you play nine holes. It's a, they started playing it, and I started playing it with them. It's one of the most fun card games in the world. Really? And so we started playing Friday Night Golf here, and it's one of the most fun things. So you've got to come play one of these Friday days Night I'll Golf with happen. us one night, because yeah. it's, it's absolutely... Um, super enjoyable. It's, it's kind of, it reminds me of skip bow for adults. Okay. It's kind of how I would phrase it <laughs> because it's kind of that counting and you've got, you know, you've got to think about what the guy beside you's got. You got to think about what the guy in front of you's got and you're playing nine holes. So you've got to say, okay, 
if I eat two, I can eat two points here and everybody else is going to eat 20. You know, you don't necessarily try to go zero every time or I'm only, I'm going to eat five points, but this guy next to me is going to eat 60. Yeah. So really, really fun. You'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Your official invitation to Friday night golf. All right. Which is, which is interesting to none of our listeners, but. I, no, I I had never heard of that, and I'm assuming you're you're betting with each round. Oh no, no betting, no, no gambling, just fun, just a fun card game, just a fun, just euchre or bridge or whatever, you know, just a fun game of cards to set and play. We sat and played 27 holes the other night. We had a ball nice. <laughs> and all. So, all right. So coming back, we were talking about cigar lounges. What are you th- What are you thinking about the guild right now? I'm loving it, a- and you're exactly right. It's very Placentia. Um, but I, to, my, uh, to my memory at the top of the show, I'm right. It does have that sort of savory, almost Dominican kind of feel to it. It's, it's still very Nicaraguan, but it's not, it doesn't dry my palate out the way a lot of Nicaraguan tobacco does. The Trade de la Quintes is a good cigar. No, I wasn't paying attention because I was lighting my cigar, but what wrapper is that one? This is the Habano. Okay. It's just a good cigar. It could stand on its own. I'm probably being unfair by saying it's doomed because we don't have all three. Yeah. But it is a very good cigar. Is that your first one? Oh, no. I've had three or four of them. Gotcha. And I'll just just trying out the different ones. I like the Habano best, better than the Maduro. Of course, I hadn't got to try the Connecticut. (laughs) But... You know he's not here, right? He's not going to hear this. He oh, he, he listens to the podcast. Oh, he's going to hear this. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to hear about this next week. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> and uh, so from MuddyRiverNews.com. Whose side are they on? Our home, our news. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea where Muddy River is. Boy, they're making a lot of money on advertising, though. I can tell you that much. Smoking Hot Wheels, local veteran-owned mobile cigar lounge. So the article is basically in Quincy. So that's got to be Quincy, Illinois. Uh, Quincy, New York. Anyway. No idea. Um, this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This is a mobile cigar lounge. This guy has set up a lounge where he pulls a trailer up, sets up a tent, puts out some chairs, and you can sit around and have a cigar that way. And pretty, you know, we've talked about it, how that's a good ideal. And I wonder how you interact with all the codes and things like that. I, I guess if you're just selling tobacco, it's a state tobacco license. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we've mentioned this on the show before. Different states are different. I did look it up. It is Illinois. I don't know how their tobacco licensing works whether you have to have a physical location that it ties to or if you have to have a separate one for each location um but yeah i think if you're just selling tobacco and you're doing it on you know leased land maybe the golf course or wherever that anywhere you would expect to set this up i i would hate to live in a place where this isn't a viable business option well you know um done some of this around here had different events that just set up a tent to sell a few cigars and i always end up getting asked to kind of help pick what okay we're going to take 10 faces what what 10 faces should we take and we always tailor you know like when they did steeplechase yeah obviously you're not going to bring a bunch of perdomos and espinosas to steeplechase you're going to bring padrone you're going to bring lfd you're going to bring 
the high-end stuff. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you do the Country Ham Festival down here, well, then you can probably bring your Espinosas, your Perdomos, your Lagaleras, your things... <laughs> Yeah. Your things have a little different cost structure. Know your, know, read the room. Know read, your audience. Know your audience. So I think that becomes the biggest challenge in one of these mobile lounges is how do you, how do you maintain inventory in such a way as to be able to go from the steeplechase to the Country Ham Festival? Well, and I think that's what... I really like, and I know it is for you too, what I really like about this article, or, or this guy rather, is he has a retail shop. And I think that's the only model where this works. You know, if you, if you think that you're, you're going to just start a, a mobile lounge from scratch, um, either as a cheaper alternative or whatever, I think you're going to have a hard road because how do you maintain the inventory? You know, one to one to show, one to go. You know, if you have a great day, what happens if you sell out? You know, and how quickly can you get things in between next? And where do you warehouse that? Where do you store it? How do you, you know, those are things that benefit the retail shop. And so if it's a matter of we're doing pop-ups, either just because it's, you know, a weekend and we want to go out to the country club or because it's a festival or whatever, being able to go into the humidor and pull back stock and be able to support it that way, I think, is how the only way that that works. I think so, too. I don't think you can ever start as a mobile lounge and end up as a cigar lounge. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of food trucks, because that's what this is compared to. Yeah. This start as a food truck and then turn into a restaurant. Right. And that's why I mentioned that about being a, a more economical way to get started, because that's, for a lot of food trucks, you know, you can start... You can open a food truck for about a hundred grand. You're going to need a lot more than that to open a restaurant. By the way, going to complain for a minute about food trucks. All right. Your food truck should only be allowed to be in the same location one week a month. Period. Because oh. let me explain. Oh yeah. I'm going to need to hear this. Up the road here, there's a Euro stand. Okay. And he has been in the same place since day one. And he stays there. His truck stays there. His trailer stays there. They're in here. They haven't had to do any fire safety inspections. They haven't had to do any permitting for parking. They haven't had to do any of the things that a restaurant would have to do if they built a restaurant in that location. So he is unfairly gaming the system by backing his his Euro shack up there and starting slinging lamb and beef parts to the local to the local people. I just I think that is I think I don't mind people having food trucks, but I don't think you should be able to put a food truck in one place and leave it forever. Well, so there actually are some state re- regulations and some and I don't know the local m- municipality of Spring Hill and what their restrictions are. But you have to be tied to a um, to a physical kitchen. You can't just your kitchen on your truck can't be the only kitchen. And they do get inspected by the health department for fire safety, fire suppression, all of that, all of that stuff. And they do have to be permitted. And in addition to a food handling permit, it's a separate food truck permit. So it's actually, but it's still far cheaper than opening a restaurant. Yes, it is. But that's but who cares? I do. Why? Because I don't want whoever to be able to open a 
food truck in lieu of an actual restaurant, which contributes You're to the tax. You're just mad space. because it's Greek food and you hate it. Oh no, I hate the Mexican ones too that are around Greek. here. No, I, but I, what, whatever, whatever they're pitching, if they're staying in the same location all the time, I don't care if they're selling the greatest barbecue in the world. They should not be allowed to stay in the same location at the, all the time. But if it's, I mean, if it's an agreement between them and the landowner, then, I mean, it, it's got to be, it's, I'm sure it's profitable for the landowner who's charging rent for the space. It's obviously got to be a good location for the, for the food truck. What, why, would, why would you crap on free enterprise like that, Shane? Because they're circumventing the system, because they're start, they're starting from a standpoint of, yes, we're going to do less than everyone else. But they're also going to make less than everyone else. Not by the time you think of what it costs to open a restaurant. They're init- they're going to get a return on their investment much faster than a restaurant is. Yeah, they probably are, but they're. Yeah, but their overhead is less, but so is their revenue, is my point. Because there's only so many groceries you can fit on a truck. The point of being in a food truck is to be mobile. Now, I agree with you. If I were going to open a food truck, it would be mobile. But I don't begrudge the people who find a stellar location and work out a deal with the landowner and everyone's happy. I begrudge them. (laughs) I I begrudge them severely because they're, okay, so they find out a stellar location. Great. You get to go there once a month, and the landowner now says, hey, hot dog on a stick. This is a stellar location for the Euro Slinger. Will, why don't you come in for a week? Well, and then there's some variety. The, the overall palette of the area is improved. Let the market dictate, Shane. And if you don't like it, why don't you vote people in who think the way you do, and we'll make that change from a regulatory standpoint. I try. <laughs> I do, I do, I do try to do just those very things. I will never stand in the way of someone trying to make a buck. I will if it's at the expense of doing it the right way. But it's not the right way. It's just the normal way. It's the it's the most common way. It doesn't make. If it the you're right running way. a restaurant without running a restaurant, you're not doing it the right way. I I disagree. If you're making food, if if people are buying that food and the people that you pay rent for access to the location and the people that you serve the food to are happy with that arrangement, then more power to you. I can and food see- trucks have been along, around long enough that if legislation hasn't caught up to it by this point, then it must not be a problem. You must be an anomaly here. I, I'm probably the only person this bothers. Although, Granted. I actually know, I happen to know that there is at least one other person in this town who thinks the way you do because the, the, the coffee trailer that's down the road here, I remember that some dude raised a big old stink about how that was taking money away from the people that took the time and the investment to, to have physical To locations. actually build a, yeah. Well, if their coffee wasn't as good as the physical locations, they'd go out of business. It'd be a self-solving problem. You may be right. Uh, one thing before we move on from this article, I just want to touch on this picture here, of uh, the close-up of the table. Look at that table. I think that's brilliant. I've never seen anything like it before. So basically what it is, it's just a, a high-top, you know, small round, what's that, a three-foot, no, not even a two-foot round cafe table. But it's got a pneumatic stand. Where you can raise it and lower it. Where you can raise it and lower it like you do your office chair. That's... All cigar shops should have that because it's multifunctional furniture. How great would it be if you're having an event and you raise everything up to, you know, bistro height 
so that people can stand around, have a place to put their plate of food or their drink or whatever. But then during the day, when you've got a whole bunch of people in here who are working, you lower them all to desk height, and now you've got working services for everybody. That's brilliant. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. I, will, I, will, I won't complain about that. I'm still complaining about food trucks not moving, but I won't complain about that. So from I Live Magazine, I Live, or SILive.com, cigars, drinks, and Botox. It's so, SI Live. Oh. Staten Island Live. Oh, okay. Maybe it's Then live, why does it just say I Live on the top? It says SI. I have no S on mine. I do. Oh, see? Mine just says I Live. That's hilarious. Um, so from whatever magazine... Cigars, drinks, and Botox. Self-care event on Staten Island caters to men. Okay. You know, I said last week on here that people would be amazed how often the guys in the circle up there talk about our hair and our shoes. Right. Nobody in this cigar shop's ever wished they had Botox. (laughs) I I bet more people in... if you had to guess how many people that walk through this door on a weekly basis, let's take this past week, how many guys that have walked in here do you think have had Botox? Two. I bet it's more than that. All right, four. <laughs> <laughs> My point is I bet it's more common than you think. Uh, probably more so in Staten Island. Probably more than so in, than in Spring Hill. But I'll tell you what, men are a, a very rapid growing demographic for that, especially in the tech sector. And the reason for that is, especially in cities like Spring Hill, where it's a commuter, where you've got a lot of people who work sort of um, either remotely or semi-remotely, uh, in, most of those are tech jobs. And as you start to get to a certain age... Your, your value in the tech sector goes way, way down because there's this prejudice against older people in tech that they can't keep up. So for you know, older men in the tech sector, getting Botox to keep, that, to keep from looking your age is becoming a, a really uh, a popular demographic for that. I can see that. You know, we've, dis- we've actually had that discussion in here before, ageism as it replies into the tech sector. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of that goes on. But the bigger point of this, of bringing this article up, is not really to discuss the, no, the no. impact of Botox on the average man's life. It's to discuss, is this the time for the cigar spa? So if you had a place where you could go smoke a cigar, you know, I can tell you, there's been a lot of times I've been sitting in the chair getting a pedicure thinking to myself, man, this would be so good if I had a cigar right now. Mm-hmm. If she's down there scrubbing and I was up here smoking a Padron, this would be just a little little slice of heaven Yeah, right now. So manicures, pedicures, See, manicures haircuts. tough, though. Manicures tough because you need your hands. Well, her, her tip's going to depend on her ability to dash my cigar well. Yeah. <laughs> no. You ash now. Okay. So. Wow. <laughs> uh. So. <laughs> Ageism and racism all in one show. That's brilliant. Um, so I think there's something to be said for the idea of the cigar spa. Or, but I think when I think of spa, I think more of the traditional like massage, like scrub, like the whole 
the whole body experience more so than I do manicure, pedicure, haircut, shave, that sort of thing. Well, and that may be it. It may be the cigar barber mm-hmm. might be a more accurate description than the cigar spa. But if you could go in, get your hair cut, get your, you know, get your nails done, get your toenails took care of, get your eyebrows waxed, several things like that. I just, here's, here's my thing. If I knew I could, like the place next door here. Yeah. If once a month they said, hey, this coming Sunday we're doing cigar day. Everybody yeah. come in, get their nails done, their, to- their manicures, can, pedicures, yeah. and smoke a cigar, and we'll air it out on Monday. I, do, you, do you think it's viable? So one day a week or one day a month, I think probably. Because uh, I think the biggest problem is, A, all of the restrictions and regulations around allowing smoking, obviously. You know, regulatory regulatory uh, notwithstanding, I can't imagine there are enough cigar smokers out there that could make up for the business you'd lose by allowing smoking in the shop. Yeah, you would have to be either one or the other. Yeah, and I don't... You, could, you couldn't be a nail spa that occasionally caters to smokers. You know, there's a barber in town um, that is actually a regular at the cigar shop in Dixon, and, and you know, it would be great. You know, it's old school. It's, you know, four chairs... First come, first serve only, cash only, you know, old school. It would be awesome if you could sit there and have a cigar while you wait, because you're always going to wait an hour. Sure. You know, that that would be awesome. But um, I just don't think it's a viable business model. Could you rent out a, uh, could you just, you know, bring a chair into a cigar shop? See, that I think would be cool. I think as I think that's the way to go about this, except it doesn't hit. The biggest part of it, because you were talking about like sitting in a you know a pedicure chair, getting your feet worked on, right. and have a cigar. I want to sit in a hot tub. I just put me in a spa, put me in a jacuzzi, and just that's where I want to have a cigar. That's I was, I was doing that this weekend in the mountains. Yeah, that that's the best. Oh man, let me tell you something. Sitting in the hot tub, cigar in between your teeth, looking over the mountains, relaxing, watching the sunset. It don't get no better. Right. That's that's the best cigar. And, I'll, and, of course, I break our rule. I always bring a Padron for that. Yeah. I mean, when so much is perfect, only a Padron will do. <laughs> so. I get that. I, I tend to be to fall into that. But I was just wondering about the, the cigar spa lifestyle coming into part of that. Okay. So, you want to talk about cars or you want to talk about topics? Uh, or do you want to talk about kayfabe? Um, let's, we've got, uh, we've got about 10 minutes to go. What do you think? You let's, uh, let's talk about kayfabe. All right. All right. So this was a big deal in my life. Probably no one else's. <laughs> and I'll pro- probably a select few people in the world that this affects. But as everyone knows, there's four things I know a lot about. Building houses, professional wrestling, cigars, and Bigfoot. And so... Kayfabe was actually added to the Webster's Dictionary last week. Kayfabe spelled K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. Now, do you know, like, where the, um, like, why that term? Like, what does it mean or how they came up with that term? It was, it was actually made up. I think Bill Watts is actually credited with creating the, the word kayfabe. Um... Kayfabe was is it was it, it's apropos of nothing. It was never. It's not like they took two words and put them together. No, he wanted to make up a word that he could say to wrestlers 
when they were breaking character. Mm-hmm. When they were, you know, there's a famous story of he was walking through the airport at 2 a.m. in the morning and Iron Sheik and Bob Backlund were talking to each other. There's no one else in this airport in the middle of nowhere and he's running up, kayfabe, 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 because they're, they, sh- they were they're supposed to hate each ring. other. Yeah. You know, it, w- it would have, it would have, um, would have betrayed the business for them to have been seen having a beer together. Right. And all exposing the business is what it was referred to. But I really like what Webster's did here. So if before this, if you had asked me, what is kayfabe? I'd have said exactly that. Kayfabe was a made up word used to illustrate when wrestlers were exposing the business or breaking character. Yeah. But Webster's really defined this well. And this is what I love. The tacit agreement between professional wrestlers and their fans to pretend that overly staged wrestling events, stories, and characters are genuine. I never looked at it in that light as a tacit agreement between myself and the professional wrestlers. That, but it okay, absolutely is. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a brilliant definition. Because well, I remember as a kid, you know, I was, I was like a, a young teenager in my wrestling era. And, you know, the first thing that someone tells you when they find out you're wrestling, well, you know it's all fake, right? Right. So? So what? Yeah, I don't, like, it's, yes, we all know it, but we, no one cares. That's, you just, you turn that part of your brain off for a moment to enjoy the story. Right, it's like pretending the NBA is not slaves to China and their whims. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's, that's one way to clear a room. <laughs> Derek was steady here, and he loves the Pistons, and I'm always picking on him because they're, the NBA is completely slaves to China's whims. Um, but it's an agreement between fans and the wrestlers that, hey, we're going to have fun with this. Mm-hmm. We don't have to... It's a, you know, to me, the, de- the definition between UFC and professional wrestling... UFC, I, I feel dirty after watching UFC. I just watched two human beings try to freaking kill each other. For my entertainment, that feels dirty and wrong. Well, it's also why the UFC is losing money. You know, at a certain point, if you don't have the story arc, if you don't have the characters to keep driving it forward, it's why people like Ronda Rousey on her tremendous undefeated streak brought a lot because everyone wanted to watch the first loss. Right. You know, when you had Conor McGregor, who was just a character beyond description, it was what the UFC needed at the time. But once you've seen one 175-pound guy who walks around at 210 because they cut weight like maniacs, beat the crap out of another guy the same size, you've kind of seen it all. Well, I'm just, I'm just not that bloodthirsty. Yeah, I'm not I don't either. need to see men try to kill each other for my amusement. I'm far more comfortable in professional wrestling seeing them do the things they do and knowing in the back of my mind, oh, yeah, he's not it's really safe. trying to kill him. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's reasonably safe. It's as safe as it can be. Right. And, and still be a viable form of entertainment. So I think that it was interesting that Webster's defined a term that by their definition of the term destroys the term. You know, the fact that kayfabe is now published in the Webster's Dictionary means we can no longer utilize kayfabe yeah. in the territorial days. If in the territorial days, kayfabe, you know, now everybody knows. Vince McMahon at the Super Bowl halftime exposed the business for all to, to see. Yes, this is fake. This is predetermined outcomes. But this is why we love it. And this is what we enjoy. 
And Vince did that, just so, just a piece of wrestling history. Vince did that because it made his wrestlers safer. Right. You know, they actually had to pull the world title off of Pedro Gonzalez in Madison Square Garden in 85 because his opponents kept getting stabbed on the way to the ring. The Puerto Ricans would stab the opponents on the way to the ring. They actually had to pull the title off of him, shorten his title reign because of that. And incidents of people jumping in the ring with guns and people, you know, crowds raising the ring and things like that were getting more and more prevalent to the point it was not a safe working environment. And that's what led Vince McMahon to the decision of, okay, we've got to expose the business. Yeah. And the, the old wrestling guys will argue that that damaged the business. I don't think it damaged the business. I think the average wrestling fan that's a true fan smart enough to look at it as just an agreement. Okay. You act like it's fake, I'll act, or you act like it's real, I'll act like it's real. We'll both have a good time. At the end of the night, we'll go home. Yeah, exactly. And, then it, yeah, it, it, it brings the fever pitch down. Uh, but, yeah, I don't I, – I mean, if we were still back in the days where it wasn't quite so well known, uh, I think it would be – dangerous is the wrong word, but dangerous to expose you – know, yeah, you would have to come up with a new name for the same thing. Right, you'd have to make up another word, yeah. which all words are made up. So, but I, but I like that you know at this point, it's nice to have a definition to something that was kind of an unspoken rule. To yeah, I think I just thought that was a cool piece of news. It has nothing to do with cigars, but I enjoyed it tremendously seeing that come out. That that they actually put the work that the Websters actually put the work into creating a not only functional but valid mm-hmm. arrangement for kayfabe. Yeah. And uh, I feel like the I feel a like well K- thought out definition. Yeah, I feel like kayfabe was put to rest very well by Mr. Webster's. All right, you want to talk about cars real quick before we call it a night? Let's just let's pick that up next week unless you just really got a hankering to get to it. Oh no, we can pick that up next week. All right. And I'll uh, next week on the cigar cast. <laughs> <laughs> but um so tell me, give me your rating. Six. Six on the crux guild. Square square six. Six is a high rating for a for a, for a Crux cigar. You think so? But they're I th- good. I mean, I they're think really I gave good. The Bull and Bear a, a six too. I mean, the price point does hurt them, you know, at that twelve thirteen range. But I'm trying to do a better job of not looking at price when I factor in my rating, except when it's remarkably high or remarkably low. And I I, I think this because it is it's a Placencia, sure for twelve dollars. Right. And it gives you everything you would want out of a Placencia for that price. And it's well-constructed. The flavor is great. And it's something a little, it's something a little unique. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I have no problem with it being a six. It's just I didn't, if I had figured you rating it, I figured you would have jumped at about five and a half. Because it is a good cigar, but it's not a destination cigar. To me, when I get in the, I guess it's mid sixes where I start yeah. looking for a destination cigar. Yeah, anything over six for sure. Yeah, anything over six is definitely a destination cigar. Yeah. You know, the Delaquintes, it's a five and a half. It's a good cigar. It does everything it's supposed to. It's burned well. It's functioned well. The flavor has been there. I, I cannot complain a bit about the Delaquintes as a cigar. So I think, it's, I think it's perfectly viable at a good five and a half for this. Excellent. So how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. And email info at thecigarcast.com. 
Well, thank you everyone for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and thank you all of us. Well